0: So thank you all so much for joining us. This is the immigration form update. It's on behalf of the Latin Student Organization at Lone Star College, Houston North. Of course, we are trying to come up with information that gives the entire community. And we think that this is very important information, especially right now, that would help everybody. But there's actually very specific members of our communities who can be helped with this information in different ways. So, the uh, immigration information side, we're going to have one of the leading immigration attorneys in the city, if not the state. She's a partner at Monty and Ramirez. Her name is Carolina Ortuz-Sardiaz, and she's been a big supporter of not just the Latin American Student Organization, but also a mentoring group. Uh, Abogada Carolina, can you please say hi and tell us a little bit about your connections with Lone Star College because you alluded to the mentoring group that you do through the affinity group of lawyers tell us a little about that too
1: thank you thank you for the invitation It's really um we had a lot of history with long college the group uh the lasso group uh, the latin american association within this the the college but also with the specific school the victory high school uh the in, in the Elding uh district and that uh, connection is also being uh you know, sponsored by the MABA group, Mexican American Bar Association. I'm a more member of that group and throughout, maybe maybe for the last three years, I think, I just lost track being, uh, you know, being part of as a a leadership program from the MABA organization, uh, meeting with the students and getting the, um, getting them motivated to go to college and, potentially to become lawyers and uh, become, uh, ex, you know, educated people and, you know, conscientious about the issues with the community and more than anything, just to uh, to support their efforts uh, to, uh, regarding their education and be there for them when they need letters of recommendations and some guidance on how to, to really get to their, um, to reach their goals more than anything. And and, and so they can see that there's support there. And we've had really uh, an excellent um, you know, uh, experience because the students at, at Victory High School are excellent. They are really motivated students and we've seen uh, a lot of uh, good things. And some of them actually uh, were able to get internships some some law firms which is really really good uh we we try to help them to get that connection during the summer to see if actually they like the area of law and uh to have that experience is really uh, a good place to start and anywhere especially as a high school student so that's one of the examples that i can give you that it was it was really um, a good experience with them so appreciate happy- it
0: yeah and i'm also grateful that you mentioned that it's a three-year-long commitment that you've had up to now. I think it's even a little longer than that because we got to remind everybody who's involved with students or schools is that this is not a one-shot deal. Now, let's get something straight. I do feel personally that people visiting a school and a community can make a difference in one day. The more profound change, as you indicated, is over time, and that's – greater and can have a deeper effect in the community. So thank you for that. And speaking of long-term commitments, also want to introduce uh, the Honorable Ernestine Pierce, who we're proud to say is a board of trustee of the Lone Star College system, but very much invested in the community for a long time. We might just mention the mentoring program you alluded to, but I know personally how you've worked so much with students individually, entire school districts. Um, Would you kindly introduce yourself, but also tell us why you are so committed to education, Ms. Pierce. And it really is wonderful to have you here with us.
2: Well, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And uh, let me say to the uh, participants of LASSO, especially the students, uh, I'm happy to be here today. And I I, I really thank you for inviting me. I think uh, LASSO is a great organization. It's, It's a much needed organization. I wanna commend uh, the participants for being a part of LASSO. And I think, you know, LASSO is the future and I urge them to remain active in LASSO. Now, uh, let me say about education. I have, I I was in education before I retired for over 40 years. I started as a, a teacher aide. I wanted to see if that's really what I wanted to do. So I was at a Catholic school, it was a teacher's aide. I said, okay, I think I can do this. I worked with the nuns. And then I went on to do it. But one of the things when I was thinking about, what am I going to talk about to students today? What do I want to say to them? I want to tell them that education matters. It matters a great deal. And I'm going to steal a saying from uh, Usain Bolt. And they probably don't know who that is, but he's considered the fastest man in the world. He's a track star. And what Usain always said was, there are better starters than me, but I am a strong finisher. And I want students to to understand that about education. There may be some people who have better opportunities, who are able to do more at the beginning, but it doesn't matter if they're better starters. What matters is where you end up. And my mother used to always say, finish what you start. Okay? I don't care how long it takes. Education is very important. And the most important thing when I say that it matters, I'm going to use today, what's going on today in the world you have to be educated you have to be informed and that's what education it keeps you informed so you can know the difference between uh, let me say this alternative facts and real facts Mm. you are probably voting right now i'm sure most of the students are voting and if you are you need to know why you're voting what you're voting for and i always try to explain that to people older people that you just don't go in the booth and vote. You have to know why you're voting. Why are you voting for whom you're voting? Uh, uh, there are initiatives that you, you know, you go in and you, you don't know, okay, well, do I vote for this or do I vote for that? Those things are very important. And um, if I can say anything, I had a whole list of things, but that is the number one thing. Now, being a board member, I have been, quote, a, a teacher activist all my life. Okay, I was, at a young age, the president of a strong teachers organization in East Texas. I mean, well, South of Beaumont, Jefferson, Port Arthur, that area. And uh, at a young age, I had a leadership position. But that's because I was always interested in my rights. I wanted to know, as an individual, what are my rights as a teacher? That's how I started. Okay, I wasn't going to, the type that's going to let you just put anything in front of me, but I was going to research and find out why. And I stayed at that position a very long time until, well, I'll just put it this way, no one could beat me, so I just, you know, I just after a decade decided, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) And uh, But I was always interested, and I have always did my research, but if I will tell students anything, know your rights. Know your rights. And when you know your rights, that puts you a leg up. And also, don't let obstacles get in your way. You know, it. you can, I don't care if it takes you 10 years, get your degree. Whatever you're going after, get it. Be like you saying, you know, you may be a late starter, but not the best starter, but doggone, you could be a strong finisher. And that's what you want to do. And I'm, I'm very committed to education. I uh, I would not have been in leadership uh, as long as I have and you know uh, Tony we met a while ago you and I and of course Carolina we met at a MABA meeting <laughs> and, and, and for those who don't okay. know that's the Mexican American Bar Association of Houston I had been introduced to MABA earlier by Judge Veronica Torres uh, who was mentored by my husband uh, Judge Pierce and uh, she had was looking for someone a school and uh, he said, oh, my wife will do that. And he threw me out there. So <laughs> Mama came to Houston uh, ISD, oh, I think it was 2006, if I can remember, go back. And that's when uh, Judge Torres was a director. And we started off with Jones High School. And uh so I've been with Mama ever since. And uh where I go, they go. And so I ended up at Lone Star. So where's Mama? At Lone Star. Now- <laughs> At the time we went to Lone Star, I didn't know I was going to be a trustee, but hey, you know, uh, so when I retired, <laughs> I said I was going to um, continue in politics because I was concerned about education. And I'm one who feels like one size does not fit all. You know, there's something for everybody, but we we we're, we're not all born to be lawyers. We're not all born to be engineers or teachers, but we're born to be something that we're good at. And all we have to do is, you know hone into what we're good at. And and I'm interested in uh, students, period, because I think that students should be given every opportunity to succeed. And a lot of times, you know, Tony, I had a chance to uh, adjunct at Lone Star. Mm-hmm. And, and who would believe, I don't know if it's coincidental, I don't know if it's divine intervention, but I happen to be in the district two from which I'm elected, which is North Harris uh, I, I had a chance that uh, I did uh, uh, do adjunct at North Harris. I did at Greenspoint and at Victory. So it looks like uh, I'm just going. You know, I came around full circle. I so when I did <laughs> when I adjunct for two three years, I found out some of the things that you know that Lone Star needed. I found out some of the things that would that students needed, and uh, and that's why I'm here. And uh, I'm fighting for everything that I can get for students and for your students who are listening, tell feel free to contact me. You know, I don't know everything. I don't know all your needs, but I tell you what, if you let me know what it is that you feel you need, I'll fight for it. But you have to let me know. I don't talk to your professor, talk to Professor Diaz. He can he can get it to me, but let me know what your needs are. Let me know, you know, sometimes uh, people at the upper extreme don't really understand uh, when you're at the bottom that this, I mean, something simple as today, we're trying to have a meeting. A lot of electricity has been, you know, cut off. I didn't have power for 37 hours. I understand what that means. Uh, I had a phone that I could do a zoom on, but I was trying to preserve my energy on my phone, my battery life uh, in case there was an emergency. And... uh, There are a lot of other extenuating circumstances that students may have. They might have children who can't go to school. Uh, They might have an elderly person at home who's ill. There are other mitigating circumstances that play into this. And uh, I have a son who's a professor also at Lone Star, and I get a lot of feedback from him. And believe me, I'm his sounding board. And when he tells me that students are having a hard time, mom, and they might be doing this, I'm on it. So it, uh, from whatever, you know, you know, we're, we're supposed to be a village and I will fight hard for you. But I want you to understand. Stay in for the long run. Get your education. I'm committed. Uh, uh, you should be committed. And there's anything I can do to keep you in school or Professor Diaz or anybody on this panel. I'm sure we'll do it. We'll make it happen. And uh, I, I'm here for you. Get in touch with me through your Professor Diaz. If, if you don't want to talk to me, I know how it is. You may not want to talk to a trustee. He will. And if he doesn't, his wife will. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> somebody's going to talk to me. Uh, and, and that's about it. You know, and I'm here for any questions the students may have. But I want to remember, you may not be, a, a, you know what I mean, the best starter. But you can sure be a strong finisher if there's anything else. I say. Thank you.
0: That's powerful. I appreciate you sharing that. And, and I'd like to just kind of pinpoint some of the, the, the nuggets of knowledge you just shared with us. One would be that, especially when I teach my classes, obviously students want to do well. They want to get good grades. They would like to succeed in their field of study. What I'd like to emphasize that you're a living example of, and also uh, Abogada Carolina is that you stayed connected to your community because every example you gave was still linked to the values, interests, and concerns of the community. And I don't think that's emphasized enough because sometimes people are a little um, preoccupied with making more money, which is important, uh, you know, succeeding at their career, which is important. But your example is that you can flourish as a professional and be fulfilled if you stay in touch with your community and you gave us a lot of examples of that including and i don't see this often so i I really commend you and admire you for this you're telling students and and you know any student that might hear this what i want to emphasize is you're at the top you're everyone's (laughs) (laughs) board of trustee. you're everyone's boss at the you know at the college you're saying, students, I'm here for you. So is it fair to say that's the role that community has played in your rise to the top?
2: I I can say it, uh, you know, I, yes and no. And when it didn't, uh, I made sure, that's why I'm so, uh, such an advocate of students. Because I have been in situations where you are not heard. So I had it from both ends. See, when I was a teacher, I, I, uh, you know, I never could understand why administration doesn't listen to teachers because we're in the classroom. We know, Hey, and what did I do? I became a teacher leader and I went back and forth with superintendents and back and forth with board members and understand for them to understand where we're coming from. Now, you know, I, uh, so, so my advocacy goes back, and also to the community. You, you have to know your community's needs. You do. If you don't know what the community's needs are, you don't talk to people in the community, you're not going anywhere. Nobody's going to succeed. So I have real grassroots in the community. And, and like I said, and I'm very interested in what students want, because they're the ones that we're supposed to be advocating for. They're the ones that we're supposed to be supporting. But if I don't know your needs, If I'm not connected, if I'm totally disconnected, then what good am I in leadership? And, you know, I retired. I am, uh, I guess, maybe the chance or anybody else's worst enemy because I have time. (laughs) I have all the time in the world, right, Carolyn? All the time in the world. I'm places that people would never think I can be. I research things that people would never think I could research. I can be anywhere at any time, you know, and uh, other than volunteering for other seniors like myself, you know, I don't have a job I go to. Okay, I'm retired. So my job is being a trustee, and I take it very seriously, and I I really take seriously. I do want to hear from the students. They are our future. You guys out here, you're our future. You know, I'm getting older. You're going to have to take my place. You know, I'm always looking for somebody to take my place. I can't do this forever. But if 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 I don't know your needs, if I don't know what the community needs, then uh uh even with Lone Star, I, I say all the time, we have to get in the community, we have we have to know the needs of the community. or Lone Star will not flourish itself as a as a system. It just will not. You know, we have a lot of disadvantaged students. Uh, um You can say when I was coming through the ranks, you know, I came from a working, you know, class family, you know, uh, and later uh, my father, believe it or not, you know, owned a business. But anyway, you, you know, you have to be able to grow that you have to you have to have the opportunity and opportunities were not so great back in the day. Let's face it, you know, the, the discrimination was there. It was difficult. Uh, but uh, I saw that. I mean, some of these students didn't see what I saw. You know, I came through the civil rights movement. So, you know, I, I saw a lot. Uh, I did a lot of marching, believe it or not. And, uh, but I didn't forget about my roots. I know where I came from. And I will never mm-hmm. forget where I came from. And uh as I tell you, my son will say all the time. He said, "Gosh, Mom, you follow me everywhere I go." When I was in school, you <laughs> were the teacher leader, and I now at time. how did you manage to do these things? I don't know, but as a youngster, a baby, he had to sit at board meetings. And I brought a little throw quilt on the floor, and just put him up there while I was going back and forth with the board. So he grew up with me advocating. It's 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 nothing new to him. And if you know him, he's more he's more mild mannered than I am. You know, I'm uh. <laughs> I'm I'm the in your face kind. He's the kind that sits back. He's more like Carolina, you know, he sits back and (laughs) observes when he comes out, normally what he has to say, you know, has a lot of merit, but no, uh, um, you know, community is is, is all important to me, Tony. And if we don't get into the community and and, and find out what the needs of our people are and and serve those needs or try to, you know, we're going to be lost. And uh, that's what I'm trying to tell to Lasso students. You've got to get involved. You have to. You don't have to be involved at the top level like I am, but just a little, like a voter's registration, you know, helping people register to vote. It's simple. Something that's, or really registering yourself to vote and then going out and voting. That is small, but it needs to be done, and a lot of it is not being done.
0: Powerful, very powerful and inspirational. Thank you for that. And uh, uh, Abogada Carolina, um, you know, Trustee Pierce mentioned a little bit about some of the challenges he overcame. I do want to get to your views on current immigration changes, but I'd also like to focus on the fact that you are a leading lawyer, which has required a lot of schooling, a lot of research, a lot of discipline Tell um, tell our lasso members and others a little bit about that, so that we can understand what it took you to become an expert in this very complicated, it seems to me, complicated field of immigration.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because I was getting ready for this presentation today, and you know, international women want to be super prepared, and I was <laughs> <laughs> I was getting ready, and then. I started getting ready and I got really excited because I said, okay, there's so much to talk about this today. And um, I've been waiting for, you know, in the, in the news from the Biden administration. And, and I just want to start, you know, saying that because um, you know, as an attorney, I'm kind of pessimistic a little bit. Uh, but I got really excited and I wanted to share some hopeful news and, and, and general thing in general terms basically. Um, just to show you that I, we get into this working mode as, you know, teachers, as a professor, as an attorney, as a nurse, but the passion, I still have it, you know, for, for what I do. And I think that's important. Yeah. Anything you do, uh, you know, the motivation hopefully comes from inside. And I see the passion in Ms. Pierce is, is in, you know, it's like an explosion. And then uh, that because she's passionate about you know education students and i and i do appreciate education and and, and that um <clears throat> uh, you know whatever takes you to get to your goals so i'm um, uh, i don't know i would talk to jennifer jennifer has these goals and and it's just so uh, impressive to know you know first of all to know yourself and know what is where you want to go and then secondly is to to trust in in those instincts and and believe in yourself, believe that you can make it, believe in that you can get through years of going to school, uh, taking tests and, you know, uh, sleepless nights and studying and things like that. Uh, But believe in that you can get to where you want to go. And and uh, I'm an immigrant in my experience. I'm an immigrant. I I got here. I was already... uh, i'm already an attorney from chile and i went through um i actually went went to college to, to houston college community i studied a little bit there i have an MBA too but uh also i decided i really wanted to be an attorney and i went through law school here in lost and houston at long at uh, south texas college of law i took the bar and I'm, I love cultures, I love languages, I love people, and immigration is really, really good fit. So the, the needs of the community are, are there, um, you know, people once you you know, people who arrive in the United States for just because they came for, and in many ways, like I was going to give a little context, is if you think about why people is coming to United States, is generally because they are coming to become permanent residents. And we call that, as a technical term, immigrant visas. And then we have this other group of people that are coming on a non-immigrant visas. And I'm going to go directly to what I wanted to talk today. And it's non-immigrant visas is basically everybody who's coming. A student visa, work temporary uh, workers, agricultural workers, seasonal workers, uh, but also, you have executives coming to work in United States, investors, uh, artists, uh, support uh, people in the in the in Hollywood, like or people who's coming on a temporary basis, just to uh, basically the work temporarily, study United States temporarily, um, and not to stay on a long-term, um, you know, commitment, basically, and then. And then you have all these limitations under federal law and the immigration laws. And um, those limitations are numerical. I mean, just numbers, basically. You don't, anybody who can come to the United States is not just allowed to come to the United States as much as they want to. Um, but as, a, as someone from Chile coming to the United States, you know, you do understand how amazing the uh the, you know the opportunities educational opportunities that you have in the state or working opportunities and and those those are the reasons why people want to come to united states so you have those two groups of people and just to put as, a, as an example of people who's coming you know on a on a permanent basis basically you have a limitation a numerical limitations so is it's no more than a certain amount of visas if you're coming to become a permanent resident because someone petitions for you—a mother, a son, or a spouse—basically, um, you have seven hundred fifty to eight hundred thousand visas per year. If you're coming because an a company is petitioning for you, you have about one hundred and forty thousand a year. And then you have—they call it the lottery visa—the fifty thousand visas—and the Trump administration was trying to get rid of those. And uh, those are the limitations that we have. So then you have a huge backlog. So then you have the numerical country-wise limitations, but then you have country limitations, so subquarters. quarters uh, Then you have people coming from South America, Europe. They have, uh, you know, potentially their backlog is not that uh, a up because there's not that many people coming on those visas, but then you have people from India, Mexico, and you have huge backlogs. Just as an example, someone, if I have a brother petitioning another brother from Mexico, they have like more than 20 years of waiting time to come to the United wow. States. It's just an example. uh Then, but you still have huge backlogs when uh, a, you have on a green card process uh, um, uh, path uh, when it's a, an employment-based petition, you have um, years and years, probably five to 10 years, India, China, those are huge backlogs of, of people. Basically also they're in the United States potentially and they're waiting just to be on that line to become a permanent resident. So um, it is very uh, challenging. Uh, and it causes a lot of hardship to their families, because then you have children, they, they have, they become really, you know, they have, they, they um have ties to the United States family ties, community ties, and they become part of the community. And then it's, 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 it's very, um. They struggle in so many ways to actually get to that goal to become a permanent resident, and then potentially later on to become U.S. citizens. So it's a long path to, towards to get the, you know, the more uh, the precious green card. So that, I wanted to give you that as a context because when you understand a little bit what's happening and those limitations of the visa, you see during the Trump administration, the four years. Basically, even you know, knowing that, that is the law, the Trump administration used several tools to actually kind of limit both legal and they call, you know, people coming undocumented to the United states, both really. Uh, for example, uh increasing the wages of those who are, you know, coming to work in the United States. And the employees already have to go through a lot of um processes to show that they need those workers but in addition to that uh we we saw a lot of regulations and policies trying to you know to restrict that based on the economy based on several issues including covet right that's that's making things even worse so what do we expect from the biden administration what is the biden administration's already doing so the biden administration or any a new administration is going to have like three routes to um, basically put their immigration vision into practice. Is One is the executive action. Basically, is the power of the president to act. And this is not the best way to do things because they change just like the president Obama did. Then another administration comes and they can just come back and undo everything. It was done just by the power of the president. The president has really a lot of power uh, regarding immigration issues. And that has been, uh, uh, you know, shown by Supreme Court decisions and things like that. So during the Trump administration, the Trump administration came down really hard trying to terminate programs like DACA, yeah, the Fraction for Childhood Arrivals, TPS temporary protected status um, e- enforcement policies and throughout that process we've been in litigation like from day one and every time the Trump administration you know changed a policy that it was in place we went to court it, every time the uh, Trump administration was imposing some kind of regulations a litigation you know arose out of that situation so. Unfortunately, we're going to see the same thing happening, and it's already happening now in Texas. Uh, the Biden administration, for instance, issued a uh, pause uh, for 100 days on deportations allow, to allow mainly the Trump administration to review policies and to just establish a new basically policy that it will change uh, the way resources are allocated. But Texas uh, already filed a lawsuit and the judge uh, granted an injunction. What is an injunction? It's basically granted a request for a, a preliminary action by the judge to stop the enforcing, to stop this action for taking uh, effect to begin with. Um, and this was a nationwide uh, injunction. So basically, it stopped the, the Biden administration from enforcing or, um getting in this new action into in place um around the, the the whole country so it goes both ways that's why executive actions are not really the most advisable way to act but the the president has that um authority actually so if you want to have any have any questions while i'm talking feel free to ask questions we'll make it more interesting uh so uh, in in terms of litigation actually obviously um, it's very interesting i like litigation i do litigation it's a little bit exhausting though because you kind of have to go and, and fighting your way at every single step of the way and Although it's very interesting from a legal perspective because it's really, uh, we have a lot of issues, constitutional issues, you have human rights issues involved and and they have very practical consequences. Um, For instance, uh, the travel ban, that's one of the actions, the first executive actions from the Biden administration. The travel ban also called the Muslim ban, right? that we went all the way through the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court actually gave the stamp of approval on the trouble ban to the Trump administration. And what does this travel ban mean? Meant? Basically, it, it was a ban or a temporary restrictions on the entry of certain people from certain countries where, where the countries were predominantly Muslims-oriented. So, that um, resulted in people waiting outside of the country for a long time, and they're still, still waiting to be able to reunite with families. Um, but the, Trump, the Biden administration, the, one of the first actions was to rescind that trouble ban. But unfortunately, at the same time, um, well, uh, because of COVID, it, it it based issue a uh, travel restrictions regarding covid so anybody who's outside of the country cannot return to the state by air unless they show that they have a um negative test covid right covid test that shows that you're negative within the 72 hours so travel restrictions by air um are affected by what is happening with covid-19 and also it's affecting the ability of those who wants to come to access services at the U.S. uh, post, the U.S. consulates abroad, because those consulates are actually, they've been closed since March of 2020, and they are basically reopening the doors on a case-by-case basis, and also depending on the situation of COVID, you know, COVID case-by-case basis on each country. And we're seeing a reopening slow, slowly. Um, so the travel restrictions also affects who can come and all those visas, immigrant visas trying to come to United States and not only immigrant visas, uh, or immigrants who are coming to be, reside permanently in the United States, but also those who are just coming to visit for business purposes um, and uh, it's very, it's very challenging for those who wants to, who need to come to United States to do just regular business uh, traveling to uh, get that uh, interview abroad to come to United States. One of the other important actions that the Biden administration took was to basically was to halt the world, uh, the border wall construction. So that was halted. Um, there was also... In terms of, uh, unfortunately, the very, very uh, sad situation that happened at the border, and the, the families being separated, the Biden administration ordered the um, that um, the appointment or the formation of a task force that was going to start. Basically, the purpose of that task force was to reunite, to look for uh, ways to reunite families that were separated at the border. Families, children from their parents. Mm. Also, a big deal for uh, attorneys who handle asylum cases, the Biden administration is going to uh, establish a commission also to review all those new policies restricting asylum and also a, a review of the enforcement policy. So, all those actions that come from the president without needing to go through Congress, they're not lost and there are no regulations, it's just a vision of that administration to uh, basically handle immigration issues and uh, from their point of vision and a point of view. And so the other way that the president can change uh, and they're already doing it, uh, immigration uh, policies or laws is the, uh, is through regulations. Regulations don't need to go to Congress. Uh, regulations basically is like a law is here. Regulation is down here. So it's like, basically it's just a way of interpreting, implementing the law doesn't change the law. And in this way, uh, the Trump, the Biden administration imposed that, uh, pause for deportation 60 day pause on on midnight regulations, but the Trump administration before, um, um, basically ending the administration, um, went really, really fast trying to uh, put into effect several regulations that were really restricting immigration in many ways. And those uh, regulations that did not uh, get a chance to enter into effect before the Biden administration took power, those were paused. So they didn't get to be in effect because they were um, not ready. So the Biden administration was able to put a pause on those regulations, but the whole bunch of regulations that were in effect, uh, I mean they were issued like lots of those um, were um, are still in review. I uh, think some experts and, and and it's not me, uh, they were mentioning that there were more than a thousand regulations, actions that were in review uh by the Biden administration I mean if you ask me I would love to be in one of those committees because it's just um it's it's interesting it's it's a very um uh it's a ground of uh, of, of so much that is happening you move one little piece it's like a puzzle you move one piece and it has so cute so many huge consequences and the life of so many people and that is immigration, like a family sponsor, asylum immigration kind of issues. But then you have a whole bunch of regulations and, and, and policies regarding employment-based uh, immigration. So you have the H-1Bs, those are professional workers, h 2 B are seasonal workers or, or non-professional, H-2, H-2Bs this is like, H-2ABs is, Seasonal and agricultural workers and things like that. So, where we see the other side, which is more meaningful, is actually changing the law. But the president cannot change the law by itself, mm-hmm. right? The executive power needs congressional uh, needs Congress to pass the law. And we just, um, I think it was just last week that the. This very huge, comprehensive immigration legislation was introduced uh, by the Biden administration, sponsored by uh, Congress people, and I can tell you, it is, it is big. It is, wow. um, it will be um, monumental. And one of the important elements of this law includes um, a path to legalization wow. for more than 1 million undocumented people. It will also create a, a path to legalization to DACA recipients, TPS, DACA diffraction for temporary arrivals, TPS, temporary protected status, and former workers. Uh, wow. Then it will also, the goal will be to uh, issue more visas. Remember those numerical limitations that we were talking about, so it will I don't know, double or whatever the number will wow. be to uh, to have more visas available. So this back level of people waiting in line that are trying to do things legally will be allowed to actually get to that goal of getting not in front of everybody, but move along the line, this huge line of waiting people. The other interesting um, uh, possible legislation is Increasing the diversity visas, the lottery visas that we talked about before that it was trying to be restricted before from 50 to 80,000. Increasing number of refugees um, provide protections for an improvement for workers in the employment setting. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really big uh, task uh, by the Biden administration. And and then we go into politics because at the end of the day, we have to figure it out. We have to see and watch what is his administration going to be able to get out of Congress. Um, We know that uh, the um, Democrats have a majority uh, in the House of Representatives, Representatives, but they don't have a majority in the Senate. I'm sorry, they do have a majority in the Senate, but in order to pass uh, immigration laws, you need 67 votes in the Senate. So that um is probably going to be something that we're going to see, a proposal, a counter proposal. Hopefully we can get there. Uh, some some people has you know would have preferred that instead of a huge monster law, we could have just, you know. Put it into little pieces. Um, I, I understand that um, that could be more a practical poli- politically speaking. I think uh, the the Biden administration is coming from a point of view of trying to actually fix a system. And when you move one little piece without moving the other piece together in a systematic method, it, it it's going to you know at the end of the day. It, potentially could be um, just halfway through of of fixing the problem. Probably that's, you know, the, uh, the balance that Biden administration has to be able to, to achieve, you know, practically what is able to politically speaking versus this goal of fixing this, this crazy system that we have in place. Um, Just so you know, COVID has really affected everything in such a way that is not just immigration system that is broken, but, for instance, I have um, the the immigration courts, the hearings, you know, have been canceled. We had not had any immigration hearings in person um, since March of last year. The courts continue to be closed, and... That means that we have had cases that have been that are waiting for for a hearing for ten years. Right now, I have one case that has been pending since wow. twelve years, and it is um, it, it creates an anxiety, stress, um, and how to fix that um, is is complicated. Um, especially in Houston we have huge backlogs in courts Houston New York um, uh, California are, are I think Florida probably have, have they have most of the the, the strong the really heavy backlogs um, and also um, they when whenever you have a case where families petition and other family members are settled in the country or spending an immigrant visa interview at the U.S. Consulate. Just to put an example, in Ciudad Juarez, the latest numbers are huge. More than 70,000 people are waiting for an interview in Ciudad Juarez. Ciudad Juarez wow. being the only host that is handling immigrant visas. We're talking about people who can, wants to come through a a family petition to become permanent residents in the United States. You have other consular posts in Mexico handling business visas, tourist visas. But Ciudad Juarez is the only one handling green card processes, basically, Um, waiting for a visa. If you think about more than 70,000 people waiting for an interview, is really a long way to go. And the um, you know it's opening it's reopening uh, very slowly unfortunately the situation of covet is not looking really good in mexico and that is is going to affect the way the the consulate maneuvers and is able to adjust and just an example we had to adjust uh in our offices right we had to buy more cleaning supplies the uh, the window And as a private business, we have that flexibility, but it took a long time for immigration offices, and it will take a long time for the counselors to adapt, to be flexible. And it's money that they generally don't have just to buy those uh, cleaning separations, clothes, masks, for to protect employees and protects the people that is appearing at the interviews and things like that immigration was closed for about three months offices right where you go in person to for a naturalization interview for a green card interviews number of interviews that have to happen in person
0: this is fascinating and of course this is going to be an introduction because it sounds like a lot of this legislation just beginning and let me see if i've wrapped my head around it correctly you're pointing out then that there's three ways for uh, administration to move forward. It could be executive orders, which is power of the president. It could be uh, the regulations, which is part of the presidential administration. And the last one you were describing, which goes back to Trustee Pierce's points about voting, is the political process where at some point, 67 senators are gonna have to decide which of those laws to pass and it's percolating we've got about five minutes left uh so you, are, are you hopeful abogada carolina and we're gonna let uh, miss pierce give us the closing words are you hopeful abogada carolina well
1: preparing for this i get excited there are some <laughs> things that could go wrong <laughs> i'm i'm probably more pessimistic but hopeful uh and um you know I, when we were all waiting for the Supreme Court decision regarding DACA. I was actually impressed or surprised, you know, happily surprised about the decision of the Supreme Court to, to support the program and to say, well, this program should not end at least the way the Trump administration had, um, plan to, to send the process, the program. And that is, It's it's, it's refreshing. I think um, hopefully we don't have to end up all the time in court. That's the problem, right? The law, uh, changing the law, going through Congress will be um, the safest way to move into this process. It will probably take time and nothing happens really fast in immigration, even if a law passes, we'll see an implementation process. And I always remind my clients, look, we have a number of people working behind the scenes in immigration offices and they're people that are you know just because we pass a law doesn't mean they're going to hire more people to work on your cases. it's the same number of people handling mm-hmm. instead of ten thousand a day maybe a million oh the, the volume is just impressive so um patience is something that i i wasn't born with uh but if you are not patient you cannot be an attorney especially an immigration attorney and i have to uh, generally say like let's be patient together can we patient, be patient <laughs> together if the answer is yes then let's work together if not it's just impossible i mean it's just um uh, you know keep an eye on the cases and stuff like that but uh it's, it's something that you learn to live with
0: and please keep us posted so that we can have you back for an update when you oh. think you know what this legislation's coming or it's been implemented or here's a regulation that our community needs to know about uh trustee, trustee pierce would you kindly close this out you kind of hinted at this with the whole idea of registering the vote it sounds like at the end of the day it's a political process
2: you know everything's political i try to tell people from your job too when people tell me oh i don't need to vote uh you know i don't need that i said do you realize it from your water uh, uh to your electricity to your schools everything is political yes your vote does count and you don't know how many times people tell me why should i vote you should because it's not just about the national both of the national level you people don't realize that on your local levels that's very very important because you know uh president biden is going to come down and repair your streets (laughs) that's a local (laughs) issue he's not going to come down and dictate what books uh, are going to be read in the schools you know that that's all local and then it has to go to the state now i did want to ask carolina this Mm -hmm. i've had the opportunity carolina to write two recommendation letters for students whose parents were seeking a citizenship what role does a letter of recommendation play in the whole immigration scheme of things
1: it's a good moral character at the end of the day what immigration laws have always um I mean, they recognize the value of what it means to be part of the community. So that is critical in any case that I handle. So it's like that support when my clients have families, they are part of the community in any way they can, The churches, their schools, um, you know, giving time, volunteering, uh, being an excellent employee, you know, hardworking, you know, appreciated by their employers and, generally is the case, that is a sort of reflection of the person and good moral character is critical to become a U.S. citizen.
2: Okay, I just wanted to say that because I've had students, a couple of students come and ask me for a letter of recommendation uh, to the uh, immigration courts. You know, they have to take it to them. And I want to leave this with the students who are participating today. You never know when you're going to have to call on somebody to write something for you or to vouch for you. So always have character, you know, integrity and and do your part, you know, get involved. So I was able to do this for two students and they were very much involved. They were, their their character spoke it spoke for itself. I didn't mind doing it. And that's, I wanted to bring that up because sometimes uh, students don't realize uh, young people that, you know, you never know when you're going to need somebody to vouch for you so keep that in mind as you become involved in the community and why community involvement is so critical it is very very critical I, i'm glad you touched on that because I, I didn't know where my little letters went i didn't know if they were of any kind of consequence but it's good to know that at least you know somebody thought they were of consequence and remember again uh, you may not be the best starter but you can be a strong finisher i'll leave that with the participants.
0: Powerful. Thank you for those great words. Powerful words to end on. On behalf of the Latin American student organization at Lone Star College Houston North, on behalf of our faculty advisors, uh, Professor Sylvia, Professor Chris, and then also we'll be having a uh, Professor uh, Jerica coming in from Fallbrook when it opens up. And on behalf of Student Life, uh, Miss Jones. And all faculty, staff, and students want to thank you both for setting such a great example and really appreciate you changing lives on a daily basis. Thank you so much.